0: I'm Dennis Tubergen. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, it's November, which means I have a brand new special report for you this month. The November 2022 special report is titled, The Approaching Derivative Implosion, How Your Bank and Investments May Be Affected. I'd like to send you a copy of this report absolutely free. And with no further obligation, all you need to do to get your copy of this free report is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. And I fully realize that when I offer a special report that begins with the title, The Approaching Derivative Implosion, That is a rather ominous-sounding title, but it is also a bit of a confusing title because there are probably some listeners out there that don't know what a derivative is. So broadly defined, derivatives are financial instruments whose value is linked to something else. Or, as the name implies, they're financial instruments whose value is derived From another security. Now a very simple form of derivative is an option. You can buy a call option and the value of that call option is based on the stock or the exchange traded fund on which that call option is issued. Well I want to talk about a different very specific type of derivative in this segment. This this is covered in detail in the November 2022 special report as well. Now, this specific type of derivative was one of the main causes of the great financial crisis of 2007 and 2008. This specific derivative is something called a credit default swap, often referred to as a CDS. Now, a credit default swap or a CDS is a derivative arrangement that is essentially an insurance contract between a buyer and a seller. A buyer of a credit default swap pays a seller of a credit default swap a premium or a series of premiums in order to have the seller protect them or insure them from a loss in the buyer's portfolio. Now let me give you a very oversimplified example to make the point. Let's say a company issues a bond. That means that the bond buyers or the bond holders are loaning this company money. And the bond holders have the risk of non-payment. Well, if a bond holder didn't like that risk, they might consider shifting that risk by using a credit default swap to a third party. So let's just say that a bondholder buys a bond from XYZ for $1,000. And let's say that bondholder earns 10% interest or receives $100 per year in interest on the bond. Well, that bondholder has all the risk. If XYZ company does not pay the bondholder back, the bondholder loses money. So to shift that risk, the bondholder might sell a credit default swap to another company. We'll call it ABC company. and ABC company charges $20 per year to assume the risk. So now the bondholder keeps $80 a year and gives up $20 and shifts the risk to someone else. Now, again, that's an overly simplified example. But a credit default swap is essentially an insurance policy that a bank might offer to another bank. But unlike a traditional insurance policy that requires the issuing insurance company to reserve for potential claims, a credit default swap is not regulated. So, for example, if you're listening to this and have a home, you probably have homeowner's insurance. Your homeowner's insurance insures your home against fire. Now, by law, a company offering homeowner's insurance coverage has to reserve to be able to pay claims based on some conservative assumption. And there are regulators that come in and inspect the books and records of the insurance companies regularly to make sure there are enough reserves to pay a claim, should it come up. So this insurance company has all the risk if the house burns down. In fact, the insurance company has the same risk as an uninsured homeowner. Now, this is essentially what was one of the uh, the causes of the great financial crisis in 2008. Many of you probably remember the AIG bailout. Well, a little bit of background on that. AIG was selling credit default swap. So that means they were insuring risk. Now, as the risk they were insuring varied, collateral would move from AIG to the buyer of the credit default swap and back and forth. AIG had collateral, presumably, to pay off the claim. However, when AIG had their credit rating downgraded by all three major rating agencies, it triggered an event that AIG now has to make good on these insurance policies that they issued. Now, at the time, all three rating agencies downgraded the credit rating of AIG, There were calls for collateral of $32 billion, and AIG came up a little more than $12 billion short. Now, in a nutshell, that's what happened at the time of the Great Financial Crisis. Now, when you look at the total value of derivatives, the total value of outstanding derivatives at the time of the Great Financial Crisis it was $234 trillion. Now, back in 1999, there was an act called the Glass-Steagall Act that was repealed, which allowed for this derivative market to really take off. In fact, in 1999, the total outstanding value of derivatives was $34 trillion, and just 11 years later, it grew, it grew to $234 trillion. So it grew grew by about 750% over 11 years. Then there was a bailout. Now let's fast forward to today. Bill Holter, in an interview with Greg Hunter, recently said this, quote, I mean the total credit worldwide is over $350 trillion. There's $350 trillion in debt worldwide. That's up from about $100 trillion at the time of the Great Financial Crisis. But you've got derivatives pushing $2 quadrillion. And yes, I did not misspeak. Total derivative exposure has increased nearly tenfold since the time of the Great Financial Crisis to a level that's almost incomprehensible. I mean, how can you comprehend $2 quadrillion? Now, my question is simply this. If derivative exposure at the time of the great financial crisis of $234 trillion ended with a financial crisis, what will $2 quadrillion do? I believe that you need to be aware of this looming threat. That's why I'm offering the November 2022 special report. It's titled The Approaching Derivative Implosion, How Your Bank and Investments May Be Affected. I'll be very glad to send you a copy of that report along with some bonus information. All you need to do to get the report and the bonus information is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com. And again, when you visit the website, just let me know where to mail the report and I'll be glad to send you a box of information, including the report, as well as a couple of my best-selling books. So again, the website is requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest this week, Mr. John Rabino. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I'm very uh, pleased to have with me once again today a returning guest, Mr. John Rabino. If you're a longtime listener to RLA Radio, you'll recognize John as the founder of DollarCollapse.com. He is a prolific author, uh, a, a very bright guy. And, uh, John, uh, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Hey, Dennis. Good to talk to you again.
0: So, John, let's just jump in. I think the, 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 the big story has been and remains to be inflation. And we were chatting a bit uh, before we actually officially started the interview, and uh, the inflation news worldwide is not getting better.
1: Uh, No, it's really not. And and you'd think it would have gotten a little bit better by now because so many things are going down in price. Used cars and industrial commodities and agricultural commodities and houses are all falling in price. So I've been expecting inflation to start moderating. And maybe even turn into deflation at some point, but not yet. The eurozone just uh, announced that their inflation rate is now um, annualized at 10%. So they're in double digits for inflation in Europe right now, which is um, a crisis. You know, there's no functioning economy that uh, can survive sustained double-digit inflation, and uh, you know they're, they're seeing a lot of the strains that normally go with that political and Um, financial. So we'll see where it goes. But um, inflation is definitely not moderating at the headline number level.
0: So, John, what is it going to take, in your view, just on that topic? There's a lot to talk about today. But on that topic, um, is is the Fed uh, on the right track to get inflation under control here? Is the European Central Bank on the right track? And uh, in your view, what has to happen here?
1: Well, this is one of those, um, if if you make Huge mistakes for long enough, there turns out to be no real solution to your problems because you've screwed things up so badly. You know that you can picture lots of different um, aspects of your life where that could be true, and it's also true in finance. And the central banks of the world have made such egregious mistakes for so many decades now that they really don't have any kind of a fix here. Basically, the system is. Broken, you know, the whole fiat currency, fractional reserve banking thing that uh, that has allowed us to um, create the illusion of rising wealth for well for, for the what five decades since 1970, give or take, uh, is breaking down. So now the only question is what uh, what is the form of the collapse, and um, that that's kind of unknowable. We have lots of different options depending on what choices the world's central banks make. But there's no way to come out of this pain free and back to quote unquote normal. Uh, so these guys, um, yeah, they, they don't have any way to fix their problems. They're searching for some kind of a middle ground where they bring down inflation a little bit, but not at the cost of collapsing growth. And there's no way to do that. So the next, really, the next decade is just going to be the, uh, the process of one bad thing after another happening until people figure out that the entire system is fatally flawed and we have to go to a new system. So that's, that's really the, um, the the play that is, um, or the the script that we're following right now, where, um, there is no fix yet they will do stuff, which will tend to make things actually worse than otherwise, uh, until people just give up on the whole process. So the question is, when do we give up? That's really the thing. And it could be, you know, it could be next year or it could be years and years from now. Just, uh, How closely people are paying attention I
0: think. Well you know John while we're chatting about inflation uh, we're recording this on uh, we're talking about some scary stuff ironically we're recording this on Halloween to air in about five days Uh, but by the time this airs the Fed will have met Um, seems that the Fed will probably be increasing interest rates again maybe 75 basis points or so Uh, what do you think?
1: Well, fed weeks are always really chaotic for the markets. You see all kinds of volatility, <clears throat> both up and down uh, and then most of it is reversed out in the week after so it first and foremost expect extreme volatility and then um, look for language in the you know the, the Fed speeches and the report that they put out and everything uh, that imply that this might be pretty close to the end of the interest rate increases. They will definitely raise the Fed Fund's interest rate by half a point or three-quarters of a point or something. Uh, but, but the important thing is what they say about the near-term future. In other words, is this it? You know, Will they stop pretty soon, or are they going to continue to aggressively try to uh, – to, um, cut inflation back to the 2% target, and, and this, this Eurozone 10% inflation number makes it hard for them to just stop raising interest rates after this week. So they're probably going to imply that there will be more rate increases going forward. But if they say, okay, we'll, we'll make them lower, you know, we'll do a half a point or a quarter point from now on, if they say something like that, then uh, the markets will respond favorably because we'll think the Fed pivot is imminent. And we're going to go back to easing at some point. But, uh, you know, it's not clear that they can ever just go back to, say, pre-COVID normal, you know, 2019 monetary policy. So um, the only thing that you can conclude from this as far as a prediction is that uh, things are going to be extremely volatile as people get their hopes up and then have their hopes dashed and then, uh, and then come to some kind of um, out of left field conclusion about what's going to happen and find that's not working either. you know things like that will go on and on until the system breaks. Uh, so the Fed is right in the middle of this where they're struggling for some kind of a um, um, a solution that includes actions and speech that keeps the markets calm and keeps asset prices high and keeps the economy growing and And, and, you know, it's not going to be easy to do that if it's possible at all. So uh, if the last year seems messy in retrospect, um, the next one should be orders of magnitude worse, I think.
0: Well, if you're just joining me, I'm chatting today with Mr. John Rabino. He is the founder of DollarCollapse.com, prolific author and writer. Uh, And, and John, you know, this past week, uh, uh, as we chatted a bit before we we started recording our interview today, um, you know, Mary Daly, who's the president of the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank, came out this past week and, uh, you know, very delicately stated that, you know, the Fed has to be careful not to go too far too fast. So it, it seems like uh, she might be greasing the proverbial skids to reverse course here.
1: Yeah, they're they're releasing these trial balloon statements to see what the markets do. Um, and they, they would like to stop raising interest rates. But they don't want to do it prematurely because then that that might convince everybody that we're willing to accept 5 or 6 or 7% inflation. And then the markets start front-running that, and you get kind of a death spiral in, in all the big PR currencies. Uh, so they they want to be able to stop raising interest rates at some point. And they're... Um, you know they're intimating that that might be soon to see how the financial markets react to that. Um, again, the problems are so serious that um, none of what they're doing is going to work. But that's the process that we're seeing unfold now, where they they're you know they're raising interest rates, but they're trying to uh, to soften the markets up for an end to that process uh, and. You know we'll see uh, it's important to understand that the people running the Fed and the rest of the government don't have the faintest idea what they're doing you know they've they've been operating with flawed models for decades and getting results that you would expect with flawed models uh, flawed models you know bigger and bigger booms and busts uh, with more and more new currency having to be created and more credit having to be created out there in the markets which create an even bigger bust imminently in the future and and uh, th- there's no way to get off that treadmill without some kind of a horrendous crash. So what they're doing is trying to avoid that crash without the tools or the models that allow them to know what they're doing and to actually affect the market. So it's a mess. We have screwed up on a scale that, uh, that historians are going to have a field day with. And uh, mm-hmm. we right now are living through the consequences of those screw ups. So ourselves now there's very little politically that can be done although you know let's vote and let's let our voices be heard but uh, but let's not have um, have any kind of illusions about whether a new set of people coming in can actually fix these problems because the problems themselves are mathematically unsolvable Um, so I I think it comes down to your own preparations for yourself and your family at this point not uh, not anything that's happening at the macro level
0: Well, John, in the time we have left in this segment, let's just explore that because, uh, you know, as I see it, and and correct me if I'm wrong or if you have a different uh, perspective, but it seems that the Fed has two choices here. We're going to have this, you know, hyperinflationary outcome or we're going to have a severe deflationary outcome, not unlike the 1930s. and, And it seems like it's at this point, it's one or the other. Am I being an extremist or is that reality?
1: No, that's kind of the two choices that we have, because, uh, you know, we've got an immense amount of debt that we can't manage. And the only way you can get rid of debt, um, or the only two ways you can get rid of debt are, one, inflate it away. In other words, make the currency less and less valuable over time, so the um, the original debt can be paid off more easily in cheaper currency. That's the inflationary strategy. And the other is to have everybody go bankrupt and default on their debt. So the debt disappears because you you claim bankruptcy and... And wipe your debt out that way. That's the 1930s style um, solution. And neither of those are um, pain free. You know, they're they're traumatic for anybody who has to go through them. Uh, and they're virtually politically impossible to survive. You know, you if you're in charge when something like that happens, you get voted out of office immediately. Uh, and so the the guys in charge know that, and um, they kind of get. I think now. It, to the extent that they understand anything, they understand that um, that they don't have an easy fix here, and that they're going to have to choose some kind of a horrendous crisis and engineer that crisis, and then hope the system as it currently exists survives the transition through that crisis. Uh, you know, in other words, we're creating a generation of people who are scarred by what they're going to have to go through, either. You know, a a depression generation. So the the people of the 1950s, um, or a kind of Weimar Germany generation. Uh, Germany destroyed its currency in the 1920s and uh, wiped out the savings of an entire generation, and uh, they were scarred in a lot of ways, which played out politically in a lot of ways. Um, And um, you know, it took them decades to get over it. So one of those two things is probably going to have to. Happen in order to get rid of this debt. Uh, and the fact that some kind of a gigantic crisis is coming, uh, and we can't stop it politically because there are no tools at the uh, the macro level to stop this, means that it's really important that we set our lives up in a way that gives us the best chance of surviving and maybe even thriving during something like this. You know, uh, some people made fortunes during the Great Depression. Other people um, also made fortunes during the uh, Weimar Germany hyperinflation. It's possible to set yourself up so you do very well personally in that kind of a situation, and then you're able to protect your family. And that should be our goal now is to to invest successfully for the crises that the world is going to throw at us.
0: Well, and we'll talk about that more in the next segment. I'm chatting today with Mr. John Rabino, the founder of DollarCollapse.com. I'll continue my conversation with John when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. My guest today is the founder of DollarCollapse.com, Mr. John Rabino. And uh, John is a prolific uh, writer, uh, um, a multi-time uh, author of both articles and books, I always appreciate his perspective, and uh, John, I'm just going to jump in kind of where we left off in the last segment, and uh, before we get to the end of this segment, I want to uh, have you provide some advice to our listeners as to how maybe they can protect themselves from what lies ahead, but first, there's uh, a few things going on, I think, that we should uh, uh, maybe pay attention to and talk about. Uh, One is, uh, it seems that this winter is going to cost a little bit more to heat your home.
1: Um, Yeah, natural gas is up um, 10% today as we're speaking, which is a a very big deal for people who use natural gas to heat their homes, which is to say a lot of people in in the eastern half of the U.S. and the northern part. Um, So that's going to increase a lot of people's cost of living, which translates into less money for other stuff. In other words, you um, you can't buy as much food or you certainly can't go out and buy another house or something like that if uh, just heating the house you have is eating up all your disposable income. Um, so that means lower consumer spending and and a slower economy, other things being equal. In other words, it, it brings us closer to the kind of recession that you, you normally get when you have this burst of inflation like we're having right now. So um, that's one one thing, one data point out of many data points that are pointing towards a, a pretty tough 2023. Um, it's worse in Europe, actually, because their energy costs are higher than they are in the U.S., but it's bad enough here. You know, gas is not cheap. Gasoline is not cheap. Natural gas is spiking today. So uh, a lot of people who are just getting by right now, uh, if this continues, will be put in a position of having to choose between eating their house, paying their rent, and feeding their kids. And uh, and and that's not the kind of situation that anybody wants to be in, and yet our, our um, policy mistakes are putting millions of people in that position. So, you know, you get economic turmoil from that, but you also get political turmoil. So these midterm elections in the U.S. Uh, are going to be very messy. Uh, and it's completely possible that the uh, the party in power will get blamed for a lot of this and thrown out of office on a pretty vast scale. Um, and, you know, we'll end up with kind of a divided government that uh, can't do much, which is probably the best we can hope for in today's world. You know, a government that does nothing, at least doesn't, uh, doesn't make any overt policy mistakes. Um, but it's... Um, in general for the U S you know, we we don't have any solutions for a lot of these things and uh, we're just going to have to take the pain, you know? And I I know that's, uh, that that's not really consolation for somebody whose heating bills are going to be 50% higher than they were last year or whatever, but uh, that's just the way it is right now. And winter is coming.
0: Well, and John, you know, you have, you have a cost of living. That's, that's, it's going through the roof at the same time uh you have people that own financial assets like like stocks and and now i believe real estate that uh you know we're seeing a lot of wealth disappear from the economy in that way also and uh certainly uh the the stock market dynamics look a lot different than they once did
1: oh yeah remember those big tech stocks that would always go up and you could just put uh put your money in the the five or six stocks that were in the kind of fangs category facebook apple um, Google companies like that and that, well suddenly money is pouring out of those stocks a lot of them are down by 30 40 50 percent already this year. Uh, and you know, the real trouble hasn't really started yet if, uh, if the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates so it, it's completely possible that uh, these giant winners that have elevated the stock market for all these years will turn out to be the uh, the anchors that pull the stock market down going forward. So we'll see. We're kind of seeing a changing of the guard uh, where tech stocks are falling out of favor and energy stocks are starting to, uh, to come back into favor. You know, Exxon, which they kicked out of the Dow 30 index uh, a year or two ago, is suddenly a, a really hot stock. And, and so are a lot of the other um, energy stocks. And uranium stocks are very interesting right now because they're not crazy expensive yet, but it looks like everybody's going to have to go back to nuclear power. And uh, that's going to create immense demand for uranium, vastly more um, than there is now coming out of uranium mines. Uh, so the guys with uranium in the ground who can mine it economically are, are going to be a lot more valuable going forward. So that's that's one of the investment pieces, pieces that flow from um, a lot of the past policy mistakes that, uh, that we've made. And that's a fairly straightforward, easy way to invest and be on the right side of history right now. Just buy some of the, the really high-quality uranium stocks and just ride them up as the price goes up of uranium.
0: Well, my guest today is Mr. John Rabino. He is the founder of DollarCollapse.com. And John, as you were talking and and talked about the the political tensions, um, it seems when you study history that every time there is an economic downturn or we see economic turmoil, or I should maybe say a society sees economic turmoil, um, it it, it adds to geopolitical tensions. And you have the Russia-Ukraine situation going on, and there certainly is the potential um, for, you know, uh, an uprising somewhere around the world at this point, given that, you know, poor economies tend to be a catalyst for that type of thing.
1: Well, yeah, we we haven't even really talked about geopolitics yet. And that's, that might be the worst part of this whole story because uh, um, at the risk of seeming unpatriotic, uh, the U S is just stomping around the world, picking fights with everybody in sight right now. And uh, you you can make the argument that we started the whole Ukraine thing and uh, that we're, um, we're, leading China to um, think that it, it better take over Taiwan now if it's ever going to. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, we're moving nuclear weapons into Australia and into the, the NATO countries that are closest to Russia. And Russia's responding, as it, as it has in Ukraine, and, and uh, it, you know, it's not taking nuclear weapons off the table either. So we're, uh, we're kind of gearing up for World War III completely unnecessarily. You know, we don't have to pick these fights. Uh, but uh, frequently, when, when governments screw up their domestic policy, in other words, when it looks like they're going to lose elections because of mistakes that they've made, they tend to pick fights with, uh, with external enemies. And that looks like what the U.S. is doing right now. You know, we are actively out there trying to create enemies where enemies didn't really exist. You know, we have a lot of rivals in the world, but we don't have bitter um, existential enemies uh, unless we create them. And that's kind of what we're doing right now. And it could just be that simple. You know, the guys in charge want to distract voters from the mess that they've made of the economy and the energy system and the banking system and the healthcare system um, by picking fights overseas, creating enemies for us to all focus on and maybe pull together. And uh, that's incredibly dangerous in a world where multiple countries have weapons of mass destruction. You You only need one stressed out policymaker to make some kind of a decision that's irrevocable. You know, the, the captain of a uh, an aircraft carrier decides that um, he sees a threat out there and he tries to eliminate it and that, that snowballs. And, you know, these things can happen very easily when you've got all your, uh, your your assets right out there on uh, disputed borders bumping into each other and everything. We're, we're running that risk. And if uh, If it escalates from here, then all this financial stuff we've talked about is irrelevant because we're going to have much bigger problems than, uh, you know, inflation or stocks going down or something like that. So that that just adds to the need to prep. We should be actively trying to be as self-sufficient as possible right now because we just don't know. If we're going to be in a situation where the power grid gets taken out in the middle of winter, or, uh, or you know, a nuclear weapon goes off somewhere in, in the not too, um, in not too far away, and all of a sudden we've got all the um, the, the, the crises that flow from something like that, or there's uh, martial law declared because of civil unrest, because we are seeing a lot of civil unrest as people protest this kind of thing. There are anti-NATO protests across Europe right now. And uh, in the U.S., more and more people are listing war as their biggest issue or their second biggest issue after inflation. Um, So, you know, it's becoming a very important thing. It's becoming a thing that could easily lead people to go to hit the streets and lead governments to declare martial law. You know, so we could see stuff like that where, um, some of the would-be dictators out there decide that this is the kind of um, crisis that they can take advantage of to increase their power. And uh, a lot of people in charge right now have that kind of a personality type. So so we could see um, all kinds of civil unrest leading to all kinds of crackdowns and uh, martial law and capital controls and other kinds of authoritarian governments going forward, which just adds to the need for, you know, you have some gold and silver on hand and maybe a garden, so you're partially self-sufficient in food. And um, make yourself um, as connected as possible to your community. Get to know your neighbors. um, Make it clear that you've got their back in a crisis if they have your back. And and, uh, become part of a community that can help itself out, help each other out. Uh, because that's the kind of thing that gets you through stuff like this. And, uh, and, and, you know, don't have too much money in the bank because we can't trust banks in this kind of a situation. So even though cash is losing value fairly dramatically, it's good to have a lot of cash on hand, too. So cash, gold, silver, um, oil stocks, uranium stocks, a garden, um, lots of friends who live nearby. All of these things are becoming more and more crucial. Uh, and uh, it used to be that we had plenty of time to kind of put this plan in place, but I'm not sure we have that much time anymore. This, this should be a front-burner issue for most people.
0: Well, the clock says we're out of time, so we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. John Rabino. He is the founder of DollarCollapse.com. John, I know I always appreciate your perspective from the feedback I get after you've been on the program. I know the listeners do as well. Thanks for taking time out to join us today, and we'd love to have you back down the road. Thanks, Dennis. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. We will return after these words. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. Hey, if you're just joining me, I have available for the month of November a brand new special report. The report is titled The Approaching Derivative Implosion, How Your Bank and Investments May Be Affected. I'd love to send you a copy of the report along with some bonus information, including a couple of my best-selling books. You'll get the revenue sourcing book as well as the little black book of Social Security Maximization. You'll get all this information absolutely free and with no further obligation. All you need to do to get all the information is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. Just let us know where to mail the information you will be very glad to do so. Now, in the first segment, I pointed out that derivative exposure at the time of the Great Financial Crisis was about $234 trillion. At the present time, the notional value of derivatives, according to many analysts, is about $2 quadrillion, which is a number that is nearly impossible to imagine. Now, Egon von Greyerz, who is an economic commentator that I follow frequently, had this to say on this topic just last week. He said that derivatives are not a new instrument. For example, during the tulip mania bubble in Holland in the 17th century, it was possible to trade options on tulip bulbs. Today, the financial system has developed derivatives to become such a sophisticated instrument that virtually no transaction can take place without involving some form of derivatives. But Von Grayard says this the biggest problem with derivatives is that those who create them don't understand fully the consequences of their actions. And senior management, including boards of directors, haven't got a clue of the massive risk. Derivatives represent. The collapse in 1998 of long term capital management, which was set up by Nobel Prize winners, and the 2007 to 9 subprime crisis is clear proof of the ignorance of the risk of derivatives. Now, I would say that perhaps this is not ignorant. And Von Grayert's kind of answers this issue later in his piece. Because if you're listening to this today, you have to say, why are derivatives allowed? Well, as I mentioned in the first segment, since 1999 when Glass-Steagall was repealed, derivatives have been growing. And these are allowed simply because derivatives have been a massive profit earner for all banks involved. They were created initially as defensive hedge instruments, but today, and these are the words of Von Greyer, they are, quote, the most dangerous and aggressive financial instrument of destruction. Warren Buffett has used similar words to describe derivatives. Today, you don't have just interest rate and forex derivatives, These instruments, derivatives, are involved in virtually every single financial transaction. Every stock and bond fund involves derivatives. And today, most of these funds consist only of synthetic instruments and contain none of the virtual stocks or bonds they represent. Now, some of you may have listened to the program a couple weeks ago when we talked about the fact that the Bank of England had to intervene in the gilt market, in the long-term bond market in the U.K. Von Greyertz comments, quote, The U.K., and thus the global financial system, was under severe pressure due to pension funds' interest derivatives collapsing in value after the U.K. budget. Pension funds, according to Von Greyertz, pension funds are globally on the verge of collapse due to rising interest rates and insolvency risk. In order to create cash flow, the pension funds have acquired interest rate swaps, which, of course, are derivatives. But as bond rates surged, these swaps collapsed in value, and it had to be bailed out. So the Bank of England propped up the the financial system by putting 65 billion pounds into the financial system. Now we have some Swiss banks that are having trouble. The Swiss National Bank has received $11 billion in ongoing support through currency swaps from none other than the Federal Reserve. Now von Greyerz reported this, and according to von Greyerz, no details have been revealed of the Swiss, Swiss situation except 17 banks are involved. He points out that Credit Suisse is is likely involved and I would agree Credit Suisse just announced a 4 billion Swiss franc loss. Now this is just the tip of the iceberg. We are now on the verge of another Lehman moment which could happen at any time. As I mentioned in the first segment, derivatives now according to many analysts now have about 2 quadrillion dollars in notional value. Every one of these derivatives has an interest element, and with the big interest rate changes we've seen of late, we can only assume that this derivative market implosion could happen sooner rather than later. And remember, a year ago, Jerome Powell and Christine Lagarde Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve, Lagarde, the head of the European Central Bank, they were calling inflation transitory and insisting that interest rates did not not need to be raised. Obviously, that has dramatically changed, and that could have a very profound impact on financial markets and banks. Now, the big question moving ahead is this. Given the size of the derivative problem this time, Can the banks or the politicians actually prop up the system again? I don't know the answer to that question. However, count me among the skeptical. You should, as my special guest on this week's program mentioned, be taking action to protect yourself, and that would be owning some tangible assets like gold and like silver. Now, if you'd like to learn more, I would invite you to get this report for November. It's titled The Approaching Derivative Implosion, How Your Bank and Investments May Be Affected. All you have to do to get your copy of the report as well as bonus information included with the report is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. I'll be very glad to send you all this information at no cost and with no obligation. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. And if you'd like to go back and check out any of our prior podcasts, if you'd like to check out the Monday noon uh, headline roundup newscast, all you need to do is visit the website, uh, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. The website, again, is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's all the time I have for this week. Hope you got something you can use, and I'll be back again next week.